0: Welcome to a new episode of the Life Science Get Together podcast. Today, <clears throat> with a very special topic and a special guest from the city where I uh, studied economy back in the 90s Wolfgang Kienreich from No Center. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here
0: to have you. Um, the topic of today is how artificial intelligence will change all industries. And it's a topic that I especially love very much. When I go back in time, I mean, the great thing with being 47 years old is uh, that I can look back to the 80s when the computer age uh, was very young. And a lot um Back then was science fiction, like the movie Terminator, for example, where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as a robot, traveled back in time and uh, had sort of uh, intelligence. And um, also science fiction writers like Isaac Asimov or Stanislav Lem back in the 70s or 60s were talking about what happens if computers... Um, become more intelligent than human beings. Um, But in the 80s, it was basically all science fiction. It was in movies, it was in books, and the computers were more or less um, like a calculator. So now we are 40 years later. And what I'm curious about is um, to hear as a starter, what of these visions from writers that clearly were basically in science fiction uh, rooted back then. What of these visions already are reality and what is still li- a little bit of superstitious stories?
1: That's a very interesting question and I will answer this with, uh, uh, with a number of science fiction sites too. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I also enjoy this type of literature. But um, going back to the visions of the 80s, there's first one interesting bit, bit I want to mention. You said that back then the computers were much like calculators and didn't really... Uh, expose any kind of artificial intelligence? Uh, well, um, there are artificial intelligence algorithms, actually. So um, basically, uh, compression algorithms or, or image processing algorithms, um, which were developed in 1985. So the papers are from 1985. And only now we are fully exploiting them because we have the data to do so. So the idea is quite simple. Uh, let's say you want to recognize images where, uh, which are from your holidays. One idea is you want to recognize images where uh, you are on a beach. Uh, So the upper half is blue and the lower half is yellow. However, um, this implies a million of pixels. Do you look at a million of pixels? No, you use what you call an autoencoder. You shrink the image and shrink it again and shrink it again and do some calculations. And in the end, you end up with one yellow pixel below and one blue pixel on the top. And this is something the machine can understand. The problem was all the number crunching was quite theoretical in 1985. Today, we have the computing capacity, and we also have the data to do these kind of things, but the algorithms go actually back that far. So I think that uh, it's easier to say where we are very far from what were the visions You mentioned Terminator. So the idea of a robot uh, with situational awareness, um, with a humanoid body running around and doing things that humans do, like killing other people, wow, um, is something which we are very, very far from, because we are very, very far from a general artificial intelligence. Um, Where we are very close to many of the things we saw is in uh, limited or uh, in in specific artificial intelligence, which mimics uh, certain cognitive functions of human beings. You can compare it a bit with uh, looking at plain robotics, can we build a robot who can do everything what a human can do, like acrobatics and stuff? Certainly not. But can we build a caterpillar which has a huge arm which is thousand times stronger than the human arm? Yes, we can. And so visions like the touchscreens, even in the fifties, we had. You know, if you don't, if you watched uh, Orion or something like that, probably the, the German-speaking people know that uh, they have had bathtub amateurs. Uh, but soon uh, things like touchscreens were envisioned, and we have them now. Uh, voice control was envisioned. I, I will always remember Scotty holding the mouse on the, on the, um, on the battleship or what and saying, computer, hey, computer. <laughs> so we have this today, as we all know. By the way, again, LSDMs uh, invented in ni- or, or uh, described first in 1992. So not not long belong the eighties, the technology basis for our speech recognition was done. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. we have some things which are very um, obvious today. Basically, we have our recorder. If you go to Star Trek, um, but of course we do not have beaming now for for full bodies, only for quantum states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. They were...
0: you know. There were a lot of interesting inventions, uh, theoretically, back in the the 80s. Um, I didn't know that uh, the roots of artificial intelligence is in 1985. Um, When we look at these inventions, uh, what role exactly does artificial intelligence play? play in, 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 in those fields. For example, um, another movie from, from the 80s with David Hasselhoff or a series was Night Rider with uh, a car, a self-driving car who can speak. And they always remember the scene when David Hasselhoff uh, used his wristwatch to uh, call the car. Um, today we have Tesla. So Elon Musk invented basically, I was working on a self-driving car, so a Neo from, from China. What role does artificial intelligence uh, in this technology play?
1: Surprisingly little. That's the interesting thing. Really? Um, yes. Um, well, we, we we did this for fun. We cal- some '80s fans uh, at the office calculated how many tons of equipment you would need um, to do what Kit does, mm. and we ended up with a number, something like the the truck where Kit is parked in. So if you Absolutely. want to have everything to show in the series, like. Uh, or the, or the computing power or the self-driving. The Self-driving is not the problem, obviously. The jump capacity, also the lab capacity. There are several episodes where they just put something into a basically in the ash tree and okay. get out a detailed chemical analysis. So for this, you would to, even today need a whole truck full of equipment. No? But all of these things are um, surprisingly, uh, or exhibit surprisingly little intelligence. We are only now entering in domains where uh, where we implement in artificial intelligence significant or astounding portions of human cognitive capability. Mm -hmm. I mean, the example with the beach says it all. You know, you can decide, uh, is it a holiday photo, but you have to restrict it to, uh, holiday photo is is a hard task. I restrict it to beach photos, okay? So this I can uh, distinguish. If I have a million beach photos to train on, of course, because you have to train today's data-driven artificial intelligence. It's not rule-based, mostly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, only now are we really coming into the domains of these spectacular applications. Speech recognition, I think, is one which is really spectacular. It got so good. Also, auto-translation uh, that you just type something into People or Google Translate and get back uh, a really very good uh, translation that was something which was not imaginable. I would like to add one detail The interesting thing is that all the science fiction writers were expecting that when machines achieve something like language translation, they would also achieve language understanding, Mm -hmm. which is not the case. (laughs) So all the translation algorithms work statistically and are far from language understanding. If you want to build understanding on top of this translation, you still have a a long way to go. So this is just the start.
0: That's interesting. I mean, um, I use Google Translate quite extensively. So when I think uh, 10 years ago, when I had to translate a contract from a foreign country, uh, basically what I needed was a translation office. And today, simply upload the PDF. And I'm always astounded how accurate the translations mean by law. What's the future perspective of such uh, translational software? I mean, uh, let's talk a little bit of uh, the benefits for society. When I take it also from science fiction and look at the Hitchhiker's Guide from uh, for the Universe, there was this bubble fish, so you can put it in the ear, and it auto-translates. And I also think in Star Wars, they had this idea that uh, there is an automatic audio translation so that you... Can understand every language in the universe, which basically, when we put it on planet Earth, uh, would also be a nice thing to have. To just have, let's say, like the Apple AirPods, uh, and understand what people are doing or saying. uh, Is that really feasible? Is that possible? And uh, is this something where artificial intelligence can support society better?
1: So our our scientific scientific director, Stephanie Winstead put it in likes to put it in the in the um, in the phrase: uh, What we are building are power tools for the brain. So um, basically, you you pick a cognitive function of a human which can profit from being implemented in software because it's faster or more accurate or can be done without any quality issues. And then uh, you have it executed. And um, your, your borders, your boundaries on, on where you can uh, or how far you can go with that is um, when you have to accept too much outside knowledge, too much out-of-context knowledge. This is obvious in translations. If you do not know where I am, you can translate the document very well, but if you run across an ambiguous term, you can probably not uh, relate it to my location because you don't know my location. So mm. you always need context. And uh, as far as this context is easily achievable, you can get this. So um, what we are seeing now is that from these individual power tools. Uh, the radius of what they can do is slowly expanding. And for instance, uh, the the computer vision and also the uh, translation and language recognition uh, is already merging. So we already have tools like uh, Lens or or stuff like that, which uh, give you text for an image, which explain an image or give you back uh, the Wikipedia definition of the plant you are looking at and so on. So we are very much um, expanding this right now. But um, one last scientific uh, science fiction quote, Um, but if we would expand it to the whole human being, then uh, Stanislav Leng comes to mind, who said about uh, artificial intelligence, um, well, it would be a bit like um, building a a big factory with very much uh, technological effort, um, which produces spinach, which is perfectly green and even under the microscope cannot be distinguished from real spinach, but you cannot eat it. Okay. (laughs) So uh, why build a human exactly if we can build humans in much simpler ways? So Mm -hmm. probably not only are we going to expand these AIs, but also we are going to use them to supplement us where we need it most. And this is now directly leading to your question. Um, We need them in education. Uh, The recent situation showed us that our current education methods do not translate well to distance education. And there are some great passages in Stephen Baxter's works where... um, He describes how Liesl, actually actually an AI or a a child which will then be loaded into an AI, is educated. And you can take loads of that. Then also, of course, the Diamond Age is also a very uh, educating book in that direction. So education is one topic. Another one is research. And looking at the complexities we have to deal with in climate change, uh, a research assistant which provides you uh, with data in the form of a chatbot um, Whenever you discuss stuff which uh, shows graphs instantly about the stuff you do, that, that that's something which really would uh, be a power tool for the scientific brain.
0: That's, that's a great thing. I mean, when we talk about science, um, this podcast is addressing a life science uh, audience, and I have read a lot uh, in recent months and weeks about how artificial intelligence can improve uh, drug development processes or drug discovery processes can you um, tell us a little bit more about this area?
1: Well there are several capabilities which we have developed um, in in a variety of industries as you know um, AI is basically a, a cross-sectoral endeavor so we did everything from automotive production to uh, legal document processing to yeah everything you can imagine which implies that a cognitive function can can be uh, automated. Um, and how we apply this to drug discovery is also in, comes from very different angles of approach. So one thing is, for instance, that um, there is a lot of information about the effects of drugs out there um, in forums, in public mm-hmm. media, in reports, in, uh, in patient data. So from the open domain to a very private domain um, to the actual lab data data which was looked at by the scientists, but which did, was not analyzed in full because you cannot always analyze everything in full. So there are many um, heaps of data still not yet analyzed um, from which we could draw data for um, multi-purpose use, for instance, and for, for a new discovery. So the, the methods there go from uh, natural language processing when we mm-hmm. talk about, say, a patient uh, data and so our patient, patient statements. Um, to privacy aware analytics when we talk about analyzing patient data without breaking GDPR. Um, so I'm really not talking just cohorts here, but really uh, a broad public, for instance. So there are methods we are working currently on methods and also putting almost a million uh, euro per year into research at this at the No Center alone, um, with our uh, DDAI module, comment module, basic research module, um, for methods which enable us to say take data medicine data from other medical data from a million of patients, analyze it without exposing any of the privacy. So this is possible and it will be very much necessary in the near future because the laws will require it in in AI research. But this is one way how we can help.
0: I think this is a fantastic uh, opportunity when I think about this uh, this gadget who measure basically... um, health data at scale and just to have uh, the possibility to um, draw the right conclusions out of that and look into this data. So if you understand you're right, this is the perfect area for artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. um, to look at the data, to make sure that uh, the data of patients is protected, that it's analyzed in a, um, in a neutral way and uh, that we are still GDPR compliant. And But science, scientists can still use this data to draw their conclusions. Is this an accurate picture?
1: Exactly. You have this device here and uh, I'm, I'm betting that the device uh, sends uh, ET phone home to a US platform. <laughs> oh, Most likely. I don't, I don't say this is an Apple Watch or something like that. Yeah? But we are working on with uh, Austrian companies which produce their equipment also exclusively in Europe. Um, is to have a data platform where you do not just upload the device data with anonymized, you know, identifiers. So, yes, well, it's your data and it has an ID, but it's not your name. That's nice, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) you know what happens when the name is stolen. We all know that from from Visa card thefts and so on. So, um, but where the data on your device is encrypted on the device Mm -hmm. and then sent to an online machine learning algorithm. The machine learning algorithm only sees the encrypted data but can still learn, for instance, to detect if you are this or that or another health category and should therefore get this or that or another uh, sports recommendation. So this is a, a, a really a decisive difference between what you are doing now, sending all the data to a big server, building a war about the big server, mm-hmm. um, which probably stands in the US, so the war is unnecessary anyhow because they have all kind of security uh, um, checkpoints with, with other uh, organizations there, um, or... Uh, if you do it on the device and then only send the uh, uh, data which is already encrypted. Of course, it's more demanding in the machine learning area, but that's what our research is all about.
0: Mm-hmm. No, also mine is an Apple Watch, and I'm pretty sure it's uh, the data is sent to the place in the United States with the most accurate weather uh, forecast for the entire world, I think it's in <laughs> Cupertino. Um, but I mean, the chance or the possibilities for the scientists then are great because they get uh, billions of data points uh, to analyze and understand also uh, healthcare situations better, in my opinion, or the development of diseases—is this uh, a possibility, or is this uh, something that uh, that is a little bit uh, far-fetched?
1: No, all of these things are uh, so. To, to generalise, I think that in the whole uh, medicine and pharmaceutical sector, uh, the applications and use cases lag behind the capabilities. Mm-hmm. In say in the in the semiconductor industry, it's a bit the other way around. These guys have been doing image recognition for quality control for decades now. And uh, so, if you come to them with an AI use case, you better be very very advanced with what you do. Okay. Up to the point that it's really, uh, if you develop new hardware, which is very strange. Usually, it's just or in the software. Huh? So, um, but. Uh, I mean, the pharmaceutical sector has been held back by um, by its rigid uh, um, um, compliance, of course, mm. and the the medical sector has been held back um, by uh, the privacy concerns. And all of this is totally okay. And I also underwrite this. So that's not like uh, let's let's do away with that, but the other way around, we have to develop technology where we can retain our European values and further our European values and still profit. And this privacy-preserving analytics is a an, prime example for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's stay a little bit uh, in Europe. Um, what are North Star projects uh, from various industries that you see in Europe? What are these uh, these projects that we like looking
1: at? Well, there are several big uh, uh, projects going on currently. I, one I want to to highlight, um, especially, is this uh, Gaia X proposal, and this is in close. Um, uh, in, in consideration to the European data spaces. As you probably know, in, in Europe, we, we would like to establish data spaces which are specific for application domains. So there will be a health data space, there will be an industrial data space, and so on. And the idea is that this will be a, a European answer to the big commercial cloud systems. Also, So the data there should be available to all the players. It should be available, sure, and uh, so so in, in a secure environment, and, and, and so on and so forth. And... Um, if you talk about the European cloud infrastructure, you have to specify this somewhere. And you specify it in this GAIA-X proposal, which is basically just a specification for an architecture, um, and which again comes in different then uh, um, flavors. And the first flavor was, of course, automotive flavor, cadena, it's called. And um, well, I expect to see, it's not not exactly my, my, my deep business inside area, but I expect to see this for pharmaceutical uh, industry uh, again sooner for the medical sector that uh, this cloud uh, infrastructure uh, architecture is adopted towards that. So this is really important because without a a really uh, reliable and, and secure and compliant data management and, and some kind of cloud architecture or at least exchange architecture, um, you will not be able to do um, AI business in Europe in five years from now. We are, going, we are moving very rapidly now towards an AI regulation. And once this is in place, you can shut down your AI if you cannot prove from beginning to end that the data in there is bios-free, for instance, if you are talking about people, which would be a highly secure uh, thing. So this data management projects and GAIA-X, I think is, is one thing really to look to.
0: That's, uh, that's great to hear. So uh, also Europe is moving forward uh, in that space. When we look um not at the uh, uh, European political scale, but in small companies, I mean, Austria consists of a lot of SMEs and uh, I think also the European landscape is uh, mostly SME driven. Um, when an entrepreneur thinks about, um, I want to start to explore how artificial intelligence can improve my business for my customers, what is the starting point for such an entrepreneur that you would recommend?
1: Well, uh, paid advertisement. Um, if in Austria, come to us. <laughs> that's that. Uh, that's one of our of the prime missions of a competence center, of course, yeah. to enable Austria's industry and science, and in particular the startups to uh, participate in uh, data-driven business and and to utilize AI. Well, in a more general sense, I would say um, depends. Uh, first, you have to think about: Am I already a technology company with an affinity for AI? So, do I have software developers? Or do I at least have automation uh, technical people or whatever? So is my my um, is my mission and my also my my business model already close to data, Mm -hmm. or not? And if it is already close to data, then uh, you can uh, even with a with a small team uh, probably go to some uh, events and read up yourself a bit and and uh, develop a better understanding of how your business. Uh, suits the AI capabilities before you go looking for partners. Of course, you need partners as a small company, or before you think about hiring that one guy who tells you that he's super in artificial intelligence. Um, And I'll come back in a minute to why this is important that you build up this understanding of the relation between AI capabilities and your company. If you are very far from that, if you develop the next energy drink or uh, the talking gift card or whatever, um, then... uh, You should really come to us or to a similar institution um, to to get a better picture of what AI can actually do for you. I mean, we have whole formats like our uh, data value check where we do nothing but um, scan an enterprise for data-driven opportunities. So, of course, you can try to do it yourself, but if you don't have the least data affinity, you you will probably uh, found out there. Why is this so important that if you already are some kind of data or a bit of data savvy to also do it yourself, um, there is uh, a a major um, step in implementing an AI solution, which has now even its own fancy name, theory-inspired data science or theory-inspired AI, um, where You add the domain understanding to the data understanding. And it has been realized uh, in the course of the last five years or or so that it's not a solution to just put all the data in a big repository, do some statistics and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. Um, But what you have to do is to build a scaffold from the domain knowledge of the expert or from the business model of the company. And around this scaffold, or with the help of this scaffold, uh, build up uh, a data science or a data-driven approach. So if you are already baking bread, then it's a good idea uh, to think about what your uh, uh, machinery puts out in form of of data and what are your real problems which data could solve. And we can then help you implement this. Eh? So your domain knowledge also counts. It's not just the data scientists.
0: So, I think uh, investment would be a great thing. Uh- to, to gather all the data from the world and uh, find out uh, the right investment strategy. You mentioned uh, no Center uh, in in your speech. Uh, let's highlight a little bit what the know Center is about uh, let's uh, learn a little bit more about the history of the Know Center.
1: <laughs> uh, the know Center was was founded in, in 2000, uh, 2001 as the Austrian Competence center for uh, basically for, for knowledge technologies. And there was this idea in Austria to, to mm-hmm. do a new kind of, uh, of uh, funding scheme where basically uh, um, a, a company would, uh, would apply for becoming a, uh, a, a comet center like the NO Center did and uh, had to hand in a scientific proposal, which was scientifically evaluated. But in the proposal, you had to name an industry consortium interested in your research. And if you manage to do the scientific ele- evaluation and to to get the money, then you could co-finance industry research. So basically, for one euro a company uh, enters, uh, I can put one euro of funding on top. This led, of course, to very application-driven uh, um, research centers, which is exactly what you need to to bring uh, um, the, the innovation into into companies. Um, there are some obvious dangers to these models. For instance, two or three big companies owning a whole center and and having them only do their research. But I think the funding agencies were uh, quite uh, um, quite considerate in their uh, requirements that there are multi firm projects where companies do in a uh, pre uh, competitive environment cooperation and so on. So. Basically, when we when we were founded, we were like 20 people. When when Stephanie and I took over directorship in 2014, we were like 60 people and very good at research. We then decided to scale this thing up, and now we are 150. Should be more, Amazing. but this was yeah should be more, but this was the uh, the COVID factor, of course. And our new building, which we will enter next year, is designed for 200 people, and this is then a comfortable size. Where we have six research groups. Imagine each group being headed by uh, one uh, junior professor mm-hmm. um, and having like 20 to 30 people. And uh, the six groups do research along the whole data value chain. So this starts with data security, data management, which you need to, you know, talked about GAIA-X already, which you need to, to even be able to do AI. Then with knowledge discovery on the one hand, so the machine look at the data and social computing on the other side, the human look on the data, Our knowledge discovery people like to build their statistical models and see what the data is about. Our social computing people first build the cognitive model and see how humans understand this data, or especially in networks. Then we have, of course, a visualization uh, research group they do pretty cool stuff also with biosensors and so on. And okay. especially as they can work for a racing simulator. So that's, that's the highlight of every no center tour, take a place in the racing simulator and be wired up and then communicate with the racing car, with all your senses and so on. That's cool. And, uh, still that doesn't make a business. So we have our, our own research department for data driven business. Mm-hmm. So these are six research areas and there's loads of stuff more, but, Imagine just 150 people straight out of uh, Big Bang Theory researching the latest AI stuff and offering industrial <laughs> services and having industry partners with really cool use cases. Uh, mm. that, that's really the, the secret. Are you allowed to
0: shine a little light on the industry partners and uh, some mm. some use cases?
1: Of course. So that's that's one of the nice things. Uh, if an industry partner signs up for a, a Comet program, mm-hmm. uh, he gets 50% funding and you have to do something for that. You have to be prepared to at least uh, release a, a one page about the project you are doing. Mm-hmm. And so we can talk about this a bit. Um, well, we have been doing a lot of stuff, of course, for production, for automotive production and for uh, wafer production and so on. The typical use case looks like this. We have this uh, car paint shop and uh, we have like 500 parameters we can tune. And sometimes we get really good quality, but we cannot reproduce it. Please do the analysis. So we then do this and develop a model. And in the end, this, uh, this model can control the whole paint shop, except in uh, exceptional situations when something goes wrong. And then the company actually buys a, a quality measurement device, which really measures the quality of every car and does a closed loop system with that, where the AI actually drives the paint shop in standard situations. Um, this sounds like replacing humans and, and uh, uh, pushing humans out of the workforce. This is exactly the opposite. Uh, what you do is you ensure that um, by, by putting standard know-how into the uh, AI, for instance, uh, young, uh, unexperienced people can be trained up because mm-hmm. the AI can also simulate how the how swing runs, of course, so you can play SimCity with it. Um, and uh, it also ensures that people are not overwhelmed with work, even when this is characteristic for all these industries, even when uh, the number of uh, variants and, and, and different uh, production um, lines and patterns grows all the time. You really have to imagine if you work in one of these production companies, uh, you entered the company like 25 years ago, you are very experienced in doing uh, um, your work in an environment where you have, say, five different cars, five, five different colors or whatever. And now suddenly uh, you have 500 and this is making you crazy. You experience stress and stress and stress and you're looking forward to your pensioning off. And when you're pensioned, there's nobody to replace you. This is a problem for the company, not so much for you.
0: Yeah, the industry has changed a lot, I think, in the last 20 years in uh, in complexity.
1: So these uh, this analytical and modeling use cases are, of course, typical. Or if we, say, uh, have a camera, and the camera photographs the, the, the wafers, and we can then uh, uh, from the from the pictures of the wafers detect the defects. But it's not just to say this is good or, or not in order, or not in order. But you also say, this is this type of error. So mm-hmm. it's probably a good idea. And you present action-relevant knowledge uh, So it's probably a good idea to tune uh, the whole process in this and that direction. And of course, we have been trying to bring this into uh, pharmaceutical uh, engineering and production, but it's not easy because you are not allowed simply to adjust the process there. We have been working recently with uh, GSE and also with UCB Mm -hmm. in in Comet projects. So we already have pharma partners and try to do this kind of work, but it's still challenging for us to enter this domain. Another typical to 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 show another very typical project uh, with natural language processing. Um, we are basically the, the the brain of the Austrian uh, uh, legal uh, um, system and the legal texts which are being published. So, uh, Manz and Linde and also LexisNexis and the Austrian Parliament all. Uh, at one at one point or another um, used our uh, search engines and our text analytics stuff and so on and of course we are trying to translate this also to say uh, recipe or, or prescription analytics uh, for uh, for medicine and so on
0: these are pretty amazing use case. I mean, work must become much better than for, for, for the trained workforce. If, uh, as far as I understand you, if they take standard situations and really help uh, to focus the work stuff on the more, co- let's say on the, on the more tricky parts of the job and uh, also to, uh, take the simple parts of the job out of the, out of, out of the process. So it's basically becoming less boring or did I get the wrong impression here?
1: That's exactly what we are shooting for. So we often have this, um, this de- or many people start this AI debate with an uh, actually an ethical or at least social debate. Mm-hmm. And the comparison often drawn is, well, we had the coal workers and then uh, in the mines and then we got so much machinery there and all the coal workers were laid off. Um, the first argument you could make is uh, the coal workers were all sick with coal dust and so on. Was it really a good idea? But then they still had jobs, no? But we are in a different situation today. So it's not like um, I replace your job. That's quite impossible. First, for the job uh, that the AI makes um, half obsolete, it creates two more which are required. So mm-hmm. if you have, for instance, in in uh, uh, so what's characteristic for Europe, this is this um, high technological production, and um, this is something which. Seems like it's a, a never-ending story because you can always be inventive and be on top of things and invent the next best thing and so on. And yeah, we are worrying about the patents in China and so on. But still, uh, you have the workforce here, and there's already already the, the key point. The workforce, the workforce is aging, and the young people coming in need to learn from the old people. Um, but if you have at the same time the rapid innovation speed we have now, what else should they do? <laughs> so they have to learn their job. They have to learn from the old ones. They have to adopt the newest. So. Education, again, and transfer of knowledge is becoming a problem because almost all our high production uh, jobs uh, and high technology jobs are knowledge-driven or have become knowledge-driven. So we need systems to support us in transfer of this knowledge, application sharing of this knowledge. And this is what the AI does, not uh, replace jobs, change jobs.
0: That's, that's good news to hear. Um, I mean, the last 30 years, 40 years, I was always surprised about the innovation speed. So when you look on the mobile industry, Um, In the 80s, there were basically no mobile phones available for everybody. And now, um, 40 years later, every person has at least one mobile phone. Um, sometimes also a tablet or a smartwatch. And I always was wondering, how does it work in the background? Um, How are people trained so fast? I mean, uh, every year something new is coming and uh, most of the time it's really uh, game-changing technology. And from what I understand from you is uh, that without artificial intelligence, this uh, innovation speed would not really be possible because uh, people could not uh, keep up with that pace so easily. Is that uh, a picture that uh, I can keep in my mind or uh, do you want to crush it? (laughs)
1: That's a picture I would, I would uh, love to have as a, as, a, as a legacy or something like that, because um, looking at what is enabling this uh, innovation speed, um, we are looking to a good extent at hardware, so mm-hmm. at, at hardware inventions, and we are looking to a good extent at, uh, at very simple cognitive functions which have been uh, automated. For instance, the the, re- the current research speed for, for sure would not be uh, possible without the opportunity to rapidly search for documents. So it's very normal for you. Uh, you are in a PDF. You want to know if something is in there, you just type find and then you get it. Or you just Google or you uh, scan your, I don't know, Mendeley research guide, take your choice. Huh? So this uh, that it is possible to search at a fingertip for through a huge mm-hmm. volume of text data and return the relevant portions. Um, is something which is only like 25, 30 years old. So this is one of the big inventions. They are directly close up to to invention of the book. First, you invented the book, and now you invented the meta book, so to say. And this is search engine technology. And this has moved from, I remember us publishing uh, papers about search engine technologies in the early 2000s still, um, to uh, a commodity which is so basic that you can currently not even really sell your search engine. So it's the search engine market is none I would go into currently. I wouldn't invest there a lot because, uh, yeah, it's a peculiar market. Nobody wants to pay for that because, well, we can search anyhow. The search is unsatisfactory. Yes. Because, uh, relevance, to, uh, ranking and so on is not that good, but, mm-hmm. uh, still the basic functionality is, is as much taken as, uh, given for, te- uh, taken for being given as, as hot water, you know.
0: No, that's it's pretty amazing. I think there are a lot of tools uh, already implemented based in artificial intelligence that I wasn't really aware of. And I'm always astounded uh, how quickly I get, uh, um, let's say, accustomed to existing technology. And you're right. I mean, 25 years ago, when I wanted to know something, I had to go to a library. So it was uh, quite simple. At the university, I yeah. had to ask a university professor or a friend uh, if they know the answer and then came google and now when i search today or when i want to have an answer to a question i can type the question into google uh, i get a recommendation of articles or uh, i can search my computer quite simple um, to find the right pdf as you mentioned or a contract or also amazon for example i mean uh, the amount of books uh, that I get offered when I want to read about the specific topics uh, mm. is really amazing. And from what I understand from you, is all behind that is already artificial intelligence implemented that helps search.
1: Uh, so information. I mean, of course, you can uh, you can now uh, struggle about the or, or fight about the scientific definition. What exactly is complex? But uh, if we take this basic definition that we are talking about the automation of of cognitive uh, functions mm-hmm. which are uh, specific to human beings, then of course uh, searching. In big amounts of information is definitely uh, something which belongs to the AI field. But uh, I can give you uh, two other examples which uh, are Perhaps not as visible as search, but which are also typically AI and also are transforming our knowledge work. One is recommendations. You already mentioned it for for Amazon, but that's mm-hmm. trivial stuff. So people who like this also like that. Uh, the the real fun is in the uh, in the content-based recommendations. So if you like this song, you like that song, not based on what people like, but what it sounds like. Or if you like this book, you like that that book, but based on the author, say on the on the structure or on some some content. Uh, features which are in there. So these recommendations are interesting. Uh, We are very active in recommendation research um, and also have our own recommendation framework and engine. And this shows some typical things for the current recommender research. Uh, You try to build hybrid recommenders. Hybrid in the sense of that they not only go for one feature. The Amazon recommender for a long time only went for users who have done this will now do that. Or users who like this also like And um, then there is the uh, content base. Uh, So you could say users who read books with this content also would like to read with that content. So if you read, I don't know. Um, um, you, you, you mentioned Stanislaw Lem. So if you if you read Stanislaw Lem in the 70s, you will probably read Stephen Baxter in the 90s or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the user-based recommendation, content-based recommendation, and also location-based. And what this is doing in a greater sense is just introducing context into your work. So you uh, you enable the machine to contextualize uh, your needs. Uh, this is one step further from search. And the next step is then uh, classification, uh, auto-tagging. Um, so you very often have the task to say to make a decision or um, for, for some purpose to uh, decide between one, two, three more options. And usually it's a decision if an item belongs to one, two, three, or more options. Sounds complex, but I mean, um, if you have the decision, if you take the left lane or the right lane, if you take the uh, uh, the Abkürzung, as we call it, the shortcut, Or uh, if you take the normal road, then uh, you contextualize this with the volume of travel and the day of week and some other simple factors. So um, if I see you taking the one or the other road, uh, often enough, I could probably learn with a machine learning model Mm -hmm. uh, under which circumstances you take the left and the right side. And all the errors I make and all the wrong uh, um, decisions I make here um, probably uh, devolve down to uh, contextualized items I did not know. So the more data there is and the more easily I can uh, see uh, context, um, the more such decision support systems or classification systems uh, play a role. And you already have them all the time everywhere. So you just usually don't see them.
0: There is a lot going on in the background, I realize. So at the beginning of this episode, I had the picture. As you mentioned, artificial intelligence is something to replace human beings in certain uh, situations of life. Uh, but from what i get now from your speeches uh that there already are many areas in life where artificial intelligence plays a role uh without me even realizing that that there is a lot of research going on a lot of uh, companies are working to make the life of their customers much better than it was before without um, making a lot of fuss about it let's let's call it that way so just one picture came up in my mind while you were speaking uh, it might be like that i travel to a city like prague for example and i um, my mobile phone, which uh, includes also the artificial intelligence, uh, learns that at this day of the time, I usually eat and record starts recommending uh, restaurants that are close to me. Is that a potential use case?
1: Hmm. The that, that, of course, that's that's uh, a very um, a very famous and favorite uh, use case to have this personal companion. And hmm. uh, all the mobile phone uh, creators now pa- package their more or less intelligent personal companions. Um, just say this and that to have uh, to get where woken at or to find the nearest restaurant and so on. Mm-hmm. But there um uh, two ways to see it. their business raises it's ugly head or there the fun starts because then we can commercialize and earn lots of money um, so of course if we had a world government and exactly one mobile phone and exactly one software package uh, and nobody interested in earning money with it then we would probably design now one personal assistant like it's in the science fiction movie you know the, in the early science fiction especially yeah. there are no brands No, nobody has a brand of something which uh, then uh, can be a different brand but you just have that communicator it's not an apple or Mm -hmm. or an Android. So then probably we would have this this personal assistant. What we have now is a a nice uh, uh, German-Austrian word, a (laughs) Flakertepich. So a nice collection of very many different um, brands and tools with overlapping capabilities. So um, I have a, a, a button for the specific personal assistant of the phone company, which built my phone. But I also have another button which is a soft button for the specific personal assistant of the company offering the operating system of the phone, and probably there are still more. Uh, so um, everybody is trying to sell you his or her personal assistant with the effect that probably you don't use a, sing- a single one of them. But the capabilities are there, and you can, of course, do a lot of these life contextualized things. Mm-hmm. This and is actually becoming really important when you are getting older, because then it's not just a question of fashion or of fun. You know, hey, cool, look what my mobile phone recommended. Well, cool. Can you do something different, please? But uh, when you are getting really old, then you are happy about this kind of support. So a lot of work we are doing is also in uh, uh, what, what used to be called ambient assisted living. So you try to to build an ambient uh, infrastructure, um, which is artificially intelligent in the way I just described and which supports you in your daily living tasks or calls for help if there's something going on. We even have a a startup company uh, which does Emma, such as uh, this is a kind of assistant you put in in the home of an elderly person and which then talks to him or her and uh, uh, helps organize life and also communicates with uh, the rest of the family.
0: I think there's also a use case for the pharma industry. I mean, just think about medication adherence. So very often people just forget to take the medication. It's quite simple to to send a reminder for for the day or certain life situations. So this might also be something where artificial intelligence could be implemented.
1: Mm. There's one big term here. This is digital twin. And um, digital twin is... uh, the digital twin is something which uh, people like you and I who play computer games uh, or played them at one point in our life and no science fiction literature can easily um, um, understand because we all played SimCity. Mm-hmm. And in SimCity, you are the major of a city and the city is simulated to the point that you have to build the power lines right. Otherwise, people will not have power and move away. So what you really have is a digital twin of a city which simulates certain um, certain key points of the city and teaches you some things and also enables you to try out things. So you will see that if you, I mean, very simple thing, uh, you will see that for a big city, even if you build very many uh, windmills, you won't have enough power because that just doesn't scale to the amount used by a big city. So children use this to learn it in school. Um, you can use it to try out city planning. And basically what we do, where this digital twin comes from, is in, in production industry to try out uh, new ways of producing something to build up the the line for producing an automobile for instance before it's actually built and then to have it run before it actually exists and see where the problems are and fine tune it and then build it according to this plan and now that's the cool thing you have the real line and you have the virtual line and as long as you manage to hold the virtual line parallel to the real line uh, you can experiment in the virtual line and try out tuning before you go into the real world and tune that's
0: that's an interesting thought. An
1: so, interesting for instance, thought. I could see that uh, one one guy is always running uh, 10 steps too far with a heavy part. And I think, could I put a machine there to transport that for him? Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, I put the machine in the 3D model and see if there is enough space for it to get through and see why is running. Because all of our machines are too broad and th- don't fit there. And this is why we didn't fit that in. So I can then try... Um, if there is an easy way to reconstruct this part of the line to allow for a machine to drive there and bring him this part, and if it works, then in the simulation, then I build it in real.
0: That's that's interesting. That's interesting.
1: And the same thing is under the topic of digital twins of humans um, being tried for, especially for medication purposes. So if you can uh, take some vital parameters of a human being. And related uh, with a strong correlation to some medical parameters, then you can build a digital twin f- at least for uh, things like uh, side effects. Yeah? And then uh, say, okay, so this produces this and that side effects, or this uh, enhances acceptance of a drug, or people then always forget to take it or whatever. And then you can play with it. You can even, even use human opinions here and, and train it on, on a few million of, uh, don't know, blog posts about this topic. And then um, try to guess what what would happen if you would change the package color from white to red, if people would let's forget it then. And if it works, then you can roll it out for this group.
0: So from what I understand is there are many, many, many small use cases that are possible to uh, enhance or to improve business models of uh, not only big companies, but small companies. what What if some of the listeners of this podcast now uh, thinks about artificial intelligence and uh, approaching NoCenter and then comes to the conclusion, I have just have a small business. No Center is a, is a comet program, and they just work with the big companies. Uh, what recommendation would you give uh, such entrepreneurs when they want
1: to get in touch with you? What is
0: the right approach?
1: Um I would like to, to answer this question and uh, and a related question or, or to, to correct something. These uh, competence centers, be it the no center or be it one of the other, over 30 uh, of these centers that exist, are not just for the big companies. Uh, to the contrary, we are asked to, um, to keep a balance between big companies and small companies and startups. The problem is that uh, a model where you pay one euro and you get one euro is uh, even if you just do a small use case in a five-digit number. I mean, I now just just said small use case, five-digit number. I know how this. I, I founded my own companies. I know that the five-digit is is very big when you are a newly found company, and small use case with five-digit is uh, not really. Uh, uh, uh compatible for for a startup still as soon as you have some investment money so year two year three perhaps you can just join such a center and do this kind of use cases mm-hmm. so in in a scale-up phases especially um before you hire two or three people to found a new department which then develops the stuff you will need and takes for two years for it better go to one of the centers um, for instance if you there are very special specialized centers if you are doing some uh heavy machinery. There's a whole center which does nothing but investigate, um, uh, tribology. So, um, how, um, it's basically about Schmiermittel and Freibung. Mm-hmm. I'm missing the technical terms now, but uh, they investigate how, how things rub on each other and how to optimize a friction. That's it. Um, so they are very specific of the centers. Just take a look at the FFG site and see if you can find a partner there. If you are much earlier, there are other funding instruments you could use. Um, so there are funding instruments uh, which start which are specific to startups and which start at a much smaller amount. Um, and of course, all the, the competence centers also support that.
0: Wolfgang, thank you very much for giving insights into artificial intelligence. It uh, was a huge pleasure to have you here. And I wish you a very happy and nice weekend.
1: Thank you, Christian. It was a pleasure to talk about my favorite topic. And um, I hope that you and also our listeners have a nice weekend.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Thanks for
0: listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm